0: Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church. You know, sometimes people say, you know, you have such wonderful children. It's never said to Ruth and I, but it's said to other people. And, and, and they'll say, you have such wonderful children. Wonderful children just don't drop out of heaven. They're parented. And I, I really debated this week whether I was going to speak on Father's Day, which is next Sunday, Ruth. and. Um, So uh, I I debated that, but let me just tell you, fathers, you don't get to have wonderful children by ignoring them. It takes parenting. It takes involvement. And I've said this many times. My wife sometimes, you know, says, well, you shouldn't say that and, you know, whatever. Um, My wife did the 90% of the parenting in our home. She just is good at it. She was naturally good at it, and why why interrupt something that's going good? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And um, And and so all I'm saying to you is it takes some active leadership in your home. If you want your children to come to church, bring them with you. Don't send them. Be faithful to the house of God, even when you travel. Some of you are going to be traveling this, 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 this season. Go to church when you travel. I thank God for the two people up front who agree with me. Go to church when you travel. Be with God's people. We had a rule in our home. You had to pray and read your Bible. (gasps) Yeah, yeah. I remember one time when Nathan was working for me, and he was was the youth pastor. He was full-time in ministry. And my wife and I were in bed. It was around 11 o'clock, and she... She gets up out of bed, and I'm thinking, okay, where are you going now? You know, where, you know Can't we just kind of shut this puppy down? And, and she's getting up and leaving, and she's going. So she walks out of the room. She leans over the railing. She yells at Nathan. Nathan, turn off the TV. Come upstairs. Read your Bible and pray and go to sleep. And I'm thinking, he's a youth pastor, and his mom is still telling him what to do. But, but you know what? It was a rule in our home. You had to pray and read your Bible every day. And some people say, you know what, you shouldn't do that. That might get them to a point where they resent it later on. No, I want to get them to a point where they know the voice of God and they know what's consistent with the heart of God. And they know God's Word. And you know when parents used to say that to me? Parents used to say to me, "You can't do that. You can't. You, they'll resent it when they get older." And I always say, "I'm sorry about their teeth." And people would say, "What are you talking about? How does that make any sense?" You're, you're talking, we're talking about you forcing them to pray and read your Bible. And you're mentioning, "I said, well, I'm sure then if if you wouldn't force them to read the Bible and pray, you certainly wouldn't force them to brush their teeth." And because you're not forcing them to brush their teeth, they're likely to fall out of their head. So I'm I'm sorry for your little fellow gummer, who's 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 not gonna who's not gonna have any teeth in his head, and neither will he have a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Parent your children. I feel better. Thank you for the, providing me with that psychiatric break. So so today we're talking about we're talking about Pentecost Sunday, and I feel sorry for the folks who are in my office this week because. I was reflecting upon D-Day, D-Day, June 6, 1944. I, I was reflecting on that, and, it, and it's kind of an interesting um, uh, observance. I, I, I am a little bit of a historian as it relates to World War II, more particularly the European Theater, the ETO, the European Theater of Operation, and even more particularly, I, I've always enjoyed the stories of D-Day. And D Day was significant. And so, in my office this week, uh, as, the, as my colleagues' eyes glazed over, I regaled them. Well, regaled them would be an exaggeration. I, I bored them with stories about D Day because it was an epic battle between two titanic forces that were characterized by distinct agendas distinct agendas. One agenda was world domination, an anti-semitic, ungodly, demonic uh, threat to global unity and power. And it was, of course, Hitler's vision to to be ubiquitous, to, to control everything, to be everywhere at all times, and to impose His will upon not only a continent but really a globe. He had plans at one time to even invade the United States of America and start by bombing the city of New York. He was heinous, and he was uh, diabolical, and he was evil. And in the face of that, allies had to come together with another agenda, a contrary agenda, and that contrary agenda was that they would pay the price to... Undermine and to challenge Hitler and to drive him back not just to the city of Berlin but ultimately to drive him out of power and it ended up eventually with his suicide in late April of 1945. And it was an amazing thing because there were two colliding agendas. There's two colliding agendas. And it's warfare that was on a very, very grand scale. Think of it, the largest amphibious assault on a, on a, on a piece of ground, and Ruth and I have been there in Normandy in, 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 in north, uh, western France. The largest amphibious assault, 160, 50, depending on who, who you read, 150 to 160,000 people landed in a very, very short period of time. The first ones to land, landed on what would really be the night of June 5th, actually it was in the early morning, it was around 1215 to 1230. They landed, and they were the pathfinders, the pathfinders, and the pathfinders were to lay out uh, some lighting for the remaining of the airborne paratroopers to land, and they were to do that and get ready for the rest of the invasion by securing bridges and and major strategic points to prevent a counterattack by Hitler as much as possible. And then you have all the things that took place throughout the night, and the people that, that lost their lives even well before the beaches were stormed. And then you have, of course, the, the, the beginning of, of, of the invasion. And the beginning of the invasion was, was, it was incredible in that it's, it's, its sheer force and its sheer size. And, of course, there were five beaches, five beaches that, that were codenamed beaches, they're not… in other words, if you go to Normandy, they don't call those beaches what we call them, which is of Sword, Juno, Gold, Utah, and Omaha. And Utah and Omaha were selected for the Americans, and for whatever reason, they turned out to be the most difficult of all the beaches. And, of course, at Omaha in particular, it was very, very difficult, and that's where you see all those crosses row by row, is just overlooking the Omaha beach. And as I talk about this, some of you, your eyes are glazing over, and you're reaching for a, a piece of paper and a pen. You're beginning to write a suicide note. I can't take any more of this history. But it was real, and it was in your face, and it wasn't, it wasn't genteel. It wasn't, it wasn't just a, a little game. Thousands of people lost their lives. Now, on the grand scale, there, there wasn't a great deal of casualties. Depending again on and a casualty, I remind you, is a death is an injury or a missing in action. And there was only about, again, depending on who you listen to, about 13,000 casualties out of 160,000 people that came ashore or that stormed the beaches that day. So that's not that high. But in Omaha, it was disproportionate. It was so much higher. And certain waves, in certain cases, 90% of the people who came lost their lives. But there's another collision of agendas taking place. And that, of course, it is warfare again on the grandest scale. It is a cosmic conflict. It is even otherworldly. It is beyond anything we face now. It is the conflict between good and evil, between God and Satan, and it really is all about power. What took place on June 6th was really one humongous force of power opposing another humongous force of power. And the force of power that had the greatest um, efficacy, had the greatest ability to overcome, was the force of power that won. And in our case, and gratefully, it was the Allies who were able to overcome Hitler. Hitler. And of course, the Scripture says, doesn't it? And you'll notice that when I speak, I use a lot of Scripture, and I'd like you to read it with me, and we already had some responsive reading. Don't get weary, but I'd like to lay a basis for Scripture, and what's it say? In Ephesians chapter 6, are you ready to read it together? Lift up your voice. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Stop right there. heaven realms, mentioned five times in the book of Ephesians, and it's talking not about physical uh, uh, power. It's not talking about uh, individuals. It's not flesh and blood. It's a spiritual force of wickedness. It's what missiologist um, Hebert talked about. He talked about the middle kingdom, and we so often in our western civilization, and especially in our western churches, we don't believe in the middle kingdom. We believe God up there, us down here, nothing in between. For instance, for... for, 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 for instance, so many of us will, will, will be fine if somebody mentions, you know, God, and we're fine if we mention us, but boy, if we mention demonic powers of darkness, we all get nervous. I want you to know demons are real, demonic powers of darkness are real, and we do not wrestle against anybody in particular, but we do wrestle against spiritual powers of darkness in heavenly realms. And then it says... In Colossians chapter 2, let's read it together. Are you ready? God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by His cross. Hallelujah! And so you and I recognize today that what? We have spiritual power and we have spiritual authority and we have been given that power and authority to disarm powers and authorities. And When the Allies came all across those beaches and they eventually began to take prisoners from, 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 the, from the Germans, what did they begin to do? They immediately began to disarm them. You don't take somebody prisoner and then leave them with the weapon. They begin to disarm those powers and those authorities. They were in authority in northern uh, in northern France. They were in authority in those towns and villages. Saint Maryglaise being one of the one of the the, the Saint Saint Mary's Church, but this, the this, the actual town was called Saint Maryglaise, and it was one of the places where the paratroopers, you know, fell uh, uh, on on the night of June on the early morning of June six, and and it was and it was powerful that they began to immediately take prisoners, and as they took prisoners, they disarmed them, and the scripture says. Jesus disarmed the powers and the authorities, and he made a public spectacle of them. One of the things that you'll see sometimes when people take, um, when they take prisoners, what will they do? They'll march them. They did this all through Second World War, and it's actually considered a war crime in many places to display prisoners this way. But, 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 but what they do is they march them in front of others. And what are they saying? We got them. In the ancient times, it was not unusual for the head of the foreign leader over whom you, con- you conquered, you conquered that individual, you cut their head off, and you paraded that head, maybe dragging it behind a chariot through your own hometown to the cheers of all the people. The Scripture says that Jesus Christ disarmed the demonic forces of darkness, and he made a public spectacle. He showed the world that he was triumphant over the devil. He was triumphant over sin. He was triumphant over the grave. He made a public spectacle of him, and he showed that he himself was victorious, that his agenda was prevailing and there is a spiritual warfare going on. There are two agendas by two powers. The one with the most will win the battles in this conflict that is in the cosmos. It's in the heavenly realms. It's in that middle kingdom. But God's people have some promises. Acts chapter 1, Jesus' disciples have been dealing with anxiety, They, of course, had to deal with the anxiety of the cross and and losing Jesus to the death on the cross, and it kind of messed them up. But then, of course, the resurrection and He appearing to them. But, you know, even during that, that period when He arose and there was 40 more days after His resurrection, what happened? They went back fishing and they started with their own agenda and they met with Jesus a few times. But, you know, there was, there was this kind of, a, they were just a little bit of a, a lacking of ease. And, and finally they decided, to hey, listen, we've got to clear the air with Jesus. And you see the clearing of the air with Jesus in Acts chapter 1, which is 40 days after He arose from the dead and what happens? Are you ready? Let's read it. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I have to do that at home sometimes, even when I show up, you know. I have to give some convincing proof that I'm actually alive. Oh, look at that. His finger is moving over the… Over the, over the, yeah, the oh, look at that. Yeah, yeah. He's got, he's got the flicker going. He must be alive. He's just staring at the TV. I have to give convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Now let's lift up our voices. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift, my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with Holy Spirit. Let's move along. Can we move? There we go. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? But stop there for a second. Here's the deal. They decided to clear the air. Is this it or is this just another disappointment? Is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom? You see, when Jesus spoke about the kingdom, of course, they saw it in the context of their own understanding. We see it in retrospect and we see it clearly. They didn't really understand it because they were in the midst of living it out. And so when they're, when they're, when they're dealing with this, they're dealing with what they know of a kingdom. And what they know of a kingdom is the Roman domination of, of their land. And a kingdom to them meant this huge geographic area led by a very despotic leader, a maniacal uh, kind of type leader who, who was a megalomaniac and, and drunk in his own aggrandizement, you know, the whole deal. And, 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 and so here you have this type of leader. That's what they're thinking about. And not only that, they have all these minions and people below them, and they all have a place of position and power. That's what they were used to. That's what they were used to. And so when they're thinking about a kingdom, beloved, they're thinking about something, you know, or so somebody's in a chariot and there's maybe two or three horses on, around them and, and, you know, somebody's going ahead saying, you know, hail, here comes so and so. And, you know, they're thinking about that kind of a kingdom. And, and why wouldn't you? That's the context in which they were thinking. I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying that's not the kingdom about which Jesus was speaking. So then you move along. He said to them, lift up your voice with me now. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority. Stop. Jesus was saying, Mind your own business. It's not for you to know. Mom used to say that to me. In fact, she kind of still does. She used to say <laughs> there was two major stores in Canada, you know, you know like saying Macy's and, and, and Walmart. But in Canada they were called Eaton's and Simpson's. It was Simpson Sears. I don't know, Do you ever have Simpson Sears down here? In Canada it was Simpson's and Sears together, and then whatever happened. And, she used to, and I used to ask her questions and things she didn't think was any of my business. She says, does Eaton's tell Simpson's their business? It was a clear indication that she wasn't going to tell me what she considered to be her business. Here's what he says. Let's move on it. It is not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power. Here's the thing. You see, my idea was if I'm close to the so-called king who's setting up the kingdom and he's going to restore the kingdom now and we're, we're, we're his disciples, therefore what's going to happen? I'm going to have some authority. I may not be the top dog, but I'll be one of the, one of the top guys. And I'll probably have a chariot and I'll have some servants and I'll have people around me. And when, they, when we drive through town, they'll say, Hail, here comes Bartholomew, disciple of Jesus, disciple of the king, follower of the king. And, and they will announce this everywhere I go. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man. Or or here comes Thomas, or here comes John, or here comes um, Simon the Salat, or whoever it might be. Here they come, and boy, oh boy, is this ever going to be exciting. I'm going to be a part of the kingdom. And so they come and they say, well, Jesus, let's clear the air. We're going to clear the air. We're going to find out from you, Jesus, just when this is all going to come about. And Jesus basically tells them to mind their own business. This is not what you think it is, but you still will receive power. You see, when you tell me the first part, I'm probably going to be a nobody again. Ah oh, man, I can't believe it. I'm I never, nothing ever works out for me. Ah, oh, this is terrible." But Jesus says, no, 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 but understand this, you're still going to receive power. But you will receive power. Let's lift up our voice and say it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now this is interesting because my question to you is, If, if, if let's say Jesus had set up a little kingdom, and let's say Jesus had, had, had kind of said, look, I'm going to take some geographical territory here and set these guys up. Would we even know their names today? Oh, we might have heard of Jesus, and we might have heard maybe a couple of things, and if you really liked history, you might know a couple of their names, but for the most part, we would know nothing of those people. And Jesus comes along and says, this is not going to be what you think, but you will receive power. And not only that, it won't be so localized that it's such a small little thing in the backwater of the Roman Empire. No, 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 this is going to be something big. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem? all of Judea. He says, man, not just in this local area, but the whole area. And not only in all, in Ju- in Samaria, in Ju- in all of Judea, but you're going to be in Samaria as well. Samaria was important because that's the place we were least likely to go. But you're going to have power in Samaria. It was John and James who said to Jesus when he went through the Samaria, do you want us to call down thunder and fire from heaven to destroy these people? I mean, hey, that really appeals to me. We're going to have some power in Samaria. And not only that, unto the whole earth. He says, you're going to to have influence. And here's the thing I want to get across to you today, and I'll mention it again in a minute. If Holy Spirit baptism, which we'll mention here in a second, if Holy Spirit baptism does anything for the average believer, it puts us on a level that gives us the ability to do something like no other. He is the glorious, egalitarian Holy Spirit. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm telling you, I don't care who you are, what your name is, what your pedigree is, how much money you have, how good looking you are, how tall you are, I don't care. I want you to know that if Holy Spirit comes on you, you can have influence in your Jerusalem, in your Judea, in the places you most likely would not want to be near or around, in those places and into the uttermost, the greatest parts of the earth. The egalitarian Holy Spirit gives you power like you've never had before. This is wonderful news. You can go to the places of power and have influence. And that's good news for us. And the Scripture says, and after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. He says, it may not be what you envisioned, but you will receive power. It may not be the kind of power you thought you are going to get, but you will receive power. And let me tell you, it will be a pervasive power that will not only influence this city, but this region, and to places you will be least likely to go, and to the whole earth. So what is his agenda? His agenda number one is to bring purity to a polluted people. To bring purity to a polluted people. He says, I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he says... For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict. There's two agendas with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. The Spirit of God comes into your life. How many of you have ever struggled, how many of us ever struggle with purity? That's amazing. I'm going to get the rest of you to lay your hands on me. But you know what when, when i'm in the presence of the spirit of god i find i struggle less with purity i don't want to lie as much as some of you are wont to do based on the last question i asked <laughs> he says the acts of the sinful flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Any of you have done any of those things in any of those categories? Okay? All right. But, what's the Scripture say? But the fruit of the Spirit, small s or capital s, Okay, let me go back to my original question. Is it a small s or a large s? It's a, we're talking about Holy Spirit Himself, but the fruit of Holy Spirit is these things. So one of the things Spirit of God does when He comes into your life in greater and greater ways, what happens? He begins to affect the purity level. That's good news. How about to bring us, number two, to bring presence to an estranged people? To bring presence to an estranged people. When Holy Spirit, here's, here's what, when, when, and Sister Ruth read this earlier, she was reading about, uh, uh, from, from the, the, the Gospel of John, and Jesus said, listen, it do not be advantageous for you if I don't go away. You see, the presence of Jesus was localized when Jesus was here. If Jesus was right here physically right now in this room, then we're all around him. But if we drive and go down to Bedford or go to New York City, and he's still here, and if this was the time of Christ, then we will have left his presence. Jesus comes along and he says what? If I go away, I'm going to send you another comforter. And the interesting thing about this other comforter is he is omnipresent. He's everywhere present, nowhere absent. As my daddy used to pray, I don't have to go up to bring you down or down to bring you up. You're always with me. And so Holy Spirit comes along and he brings the presence of Jesus to a strange people no matter where they are. That's why even last night, As Muslims slept around the world, they were having dreams about a man in white who will visit them with power and will revolutionize their lives. And Muslims by the thousands today are coming to Jesus because of dreams and because of visions they're having of this wonderful Jesus who is everywhere present, and he's represented by the power of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit floods that room where they're sleeping, and they have a vision of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's good news. And so, what's the Scripture say? Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. We're in this together. We were once afar, but now we're back. The third thing he does is he brings power to a called people but you will receive, the Scripture says, lift up our voices and say this together, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'm having a fantasy right now. My fantasy is that you'll lift up your voice and say it one more time with me. Would you do that? Some of you, I'm telling you, if your mama was here, you wouldn't do it. You've taken a stand, all right? All right. But let's, let's, let's do it together. Come on. I, I, I dare you. Ben, ben, shout it, baby. Come on. I love Ben. All right. You ready? But you will receive power when Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, and all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Listen to me. You've got an agenda, an agenda to witness to the king. The king is the king. We're in the kingdom. And now what happens? I've been given power to Undertake those things that he's called me to undertake. But you know what's interesting? When God goes to war against the devil's agenda, he does so using people. I forgot to bring my illustration. Does anybody have a teddy bear? This child, do you have a teddy bear, sister? You got any... any? He, he, I forgot to bring my illustration. And if I, could, if I could lift Pastor John, if I could lift Pastor John, oh, okay, all right, thank you. This is, yeah, about the, close enough to Pastor John right here. All right. Imagine I'm God. Now, that, now that's a stretch, okay, that's a stretch. Because you, you expected him to be taller, I know. And so imagine I'm God, and this is you. And, and believe me, this is a closer resemblance to you than I am to God. I understand that too. But here's the deal. When God goes to war, He goes to war using you. You are absolutely indispensable. God has elected not to do this on His own. Roosevelt, and Churchill, Old Uncle Joe, Stalin, they could have done anything they wanted made all the decisions they wanted, but somehow they had to get others involved to fulfill their agenda, to make D-Day and many other great battles a possibility and a success. When, they, when Roosevelt and Churchill and old Uncle Joe, when they decided to do something, they were really making decisions to use others. Now you can say that's good, that's bad, but that's just the way it was. The Scripture tells us this in Psalm 144 and verse 1, Praise be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war. It's noteworthy that the Scripture says that our God is a God of war, but having said that, He uses His people to war. It's you who will do the fighting on His behalf and on behalf of His agenda. Listen to what it says in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 20. He says, you are my war club, my weapon for battle. With you I shatter nations. With you I destroy kingdoms. He's speaking to his own people and he's saying to them, you are my war club. You are my, the King James version says, my battle axe. And and just let me tell you something. You're a part of the battle axe brigade of Almighty God. It is you that God uses. Now what does that mean? That means that He uses your testimony. He uses your localized victories. He uses the things that only He can do in you and for you and through you, but He uses you. And when He goes to war with the enemy, He says, look at my servant Tabby. You went after You and after, you and after, and you and after. But yet she gets up and declares the glory and the goodness of my God, and it stomps on the enemy and declares the enemy to be ineffective. What happens is imagine these are your legs, sort of like mine, kind of short and stumpy. Hey, imagine that God of the universe has you by the legs, and he's using you to beat the enemy. He's saying, Look at my servant, they just turned from sin. And they've turned to me for salvation. Look at my servant. They were sick in their body. And now they're healed. And it beats the enemy. Look at my servant. They raised their children to serve God. And now their children are serving the Lord. And they're graduating from high school. And they're going on to, mission, to nursing school. And, and, and so look at my servant. And every time something like that happens, the enemy gets hit and gets beaten back. You are the war club of Almighty God. It's with you that he fights. And many of us are tearing to God and saying, God, I wish you'd fight them for me. And God's saying, I wish you would. I wish you would. I wish you'd fight them for me. I wish you would let your testimony. And by the way, how do we know this? We know this from the book of Job. We know this about the, the cosmic conversation between, the, between God and Satan. And, 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 and God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered him? You know what God's saying? Have you considered my servant? And put your own name there. And God is using your testimony and your victories and your prayers to change destinies. And you're beating back the power of the enemy. Well, let's look at it. Mark chapter 16. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow. Now notice here, this does not say whoever does not believe, these things will happen. This happens to those who believe. And so somebody says, well, I don't believe that that casting out demons is for today. Then chances are you'll never have to worry about casting out a demon. Somebody says, well, I don't believe the healing is for today. Then don't worry about it. You won't be healed. Neither will anybody around you. Don't get anxious about this, okay? This is for the people who believe. All right? So what's going to happen? In my name, they'll drive out demons. They will speak in Somebody says, I don't believe in speaking in tongues. Don't worry about it. You'll never have to worry about speaking in tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. They will drink deadly poison and it will not hurt them. I used this part of the, that, that Scripture for when I was early married and Ruth was beginning to learn to cook. Anyway, uh, so... You shouldn't even laugh at something like that. That's totally disgusting. It was actually a test. I never did that. It was a test to see how carnal you were. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Who gets to do this stuff? People who believe. People who believe. And and you know what? When you begin to believe, what happens? God has got you by the feet, and he's whooping the devil with you. When God's people begin to believe, and the Spirit of God is all over them, and they're immersed in Holy Spirit power, God's got you by the feet, and he's beating back the forces of evil. But you will receive power. 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 That's what happens. Hmm. Well, we've got we've, we've, we've to get done. So let's affirm this. Some say Holy Spirit baptism was the only for the early church. But does it say that here? No. Is that true? If that is true, then the rest of the list is not for, the early, for any church either. Here's what we know. When people are Holy Spirit-filled like those in the day of Pentecost, They have a power to do things they would not otherwise have a power or even a desire to do. Here's what I know. You get Holy Spirit filled, and God will change your desires. How do we know that? How do we know that? Well, we know it from the first account. We know it from a bunch of scared, anxious people who are trying to figure this all out. And suddenly the guy who denies Jesus three times preaches a message where 3,000 were saved, 1,000 for every denial. Jesus' specific words are stated here. And let's see what God may be saying. Number one, it's all about preaching the gospel. It's all about his agenda. His agenda is lost people. I want to be nice about this. Sin is sin, and there's right and there's wrong. But my enemies are not the sinners. My enemies are not homosexuals or murderers or liars or politicians or whatever, jaywalkers, whatever your big issue is that you want to champion. Those are not my enemies. Those are the targets of the grace of God that the Spirit of God wants to use me to touch and to reach. Telling others about Jesus and having His power to do it, it's all about preaching the gospel. Secondly, it's all about the power of believing, or people believing, or believing people. Believing is the key for people to come to Jesus. You know why unbelievers don't believe? Because they can't really see a whole lot of believing believers. You see, if, if, if I'm a believing believer, and I get around people who don't believe, they should see that there's a difference between me and them. And as I lay my hands on them when they're sick and as I encourage them when they're discouraged and as I tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and endeavor to live it out and even with a degree of humility say as when I make mistakes I'm sorry I shouldn't have made that mistake please forgive me and I've asked the Lord to forgive me as I live a life of grace around them it should cause the unbeliever to at least believe in the believer that the believer actually believes. Number three, condemnation is the result of unbelief in the gospel. This is the sad part of it. But can I tell you, we often think the, uh, the unbelief in the gospel is, is for the unbeliever, and that's true. There is some condemnation that comes to the unbeliever. Can I tell you there's condemnation that comes to the, the so-called believers who don't believe? How does, that con- how, how does that condemnation manifest itself? You're constantly ill. How does that condemnation manifest itself? There's no miracles in your life. Those things you say you've been praying for, you haven't really been praying, and there's really no results coming. And, and you're condemned to live the life of an unbeliever when, in fact, you say you are a believer. Well, here's what we know. Jesus' followers were told that they could cast out demons. They would speak in new tongues. This is, a, this is where you're able to speak in a language you've never studied or learned. Somebody says, that's impossible. Well, correct. That is impossible. And that's why only God can do it. It is impossible for you to speak in a language you've never studied or learned. And yet God comes along and says, I can make it possible for you. Number three, they will deal with dangerous situations that have deadly consequences like the snakes, like the drinking of deadly poison. You can deal in deadly circumstances. God will give you grace to, 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 to drive with your spouse. God will give you grace and protect you. I tell you, I've seen God protect me in so many difficult situations. I. I, I I, I taught three children to drive, and, 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 and God will give you great grace. I'm telling you, God will give you grace, and He will protect you in difficult... I've been in places in the world where I want. am I ever going to get out of this situation? And God will give you grace, and God will help you, and He will empower you as you believe Him. And finally, they'll lay their hands on sick people, and they will recover. That's what the Scripture says. And if the Scripture says that, then we elect to believe it. And it happens to those who receive. You see, the power of believing Jesus' followers or followers of Jesus who believe is the power to destroy the devil's agenda. Remember I said there were two agendas? One is the the agenda of the world, and one is the agenda of God. One is the agenda of the devil. One is the agenda of the lover of my soul. And when I yoke up with his agenda and he uses me as his war club, he beats back the power of the enemy. So when we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we are contributing to the victory of God's agenda. Acts talks about being immersed or baptized in the person of Holy Spirit. He's a person. I'm not asking you to be baptized in a spirit or some kind of ethereal deal going on in the cosmos somewhere and it's a little bit woebegone. We can't understand it. No, I'm asking you to be baptized in a person. He loves you. He surrounds you. He now wants to infill you, not just fill you up, but actually for you. it's like, it's like drinking 10 gallons of water and then jumping into a swimming pool. Acts talks about this baptizing in a person. Holy Spirit baptism is to be considered normative. Sometimes people say, well, you know, that person, they're they're really Holy Spirit baptized. Man, they're amazing. Listen, everybody around us should be Holy Spirit baptized. It's normative. The, the, and I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in, in an exhortation that the whole idea is that theologians say, is this normative or is this an unusual incident in the Scripture? Listen to me. Holy Spirit, Baptist, there are some unusual one-time events. The clothing tongues of fire, that was a one-time event. The rushing mighty wind, although there's been repeated a few times in, 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 in Pentecostal history, it, they're not normative. They don't happen every time. But I'll tell you something that does happen every time. When Holy Spirit comes on people, they are empowered. When you are immersed in Holy Spirit, you are given a brand new energy and a brand new sense of purpose and divine, uh, a divine mandate and motivation to touch the world for Jesus Christ. Listen to me, beloved. Understand me. This great egalitarian spirit, uh, I, for somehow I, I, I must have missed it and I just want to reference it, this great egalitarian spirit who, who pours out his, himself. What did, what, did, what did Peter say? He said, this is that. That's the King James Version. This is that which was promised by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon. I want to do this because I, I'm more excited than you are, and this is not right. Okay, so in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all, all flesh. It's a great egalitarian spirit. He doesn't miss anybody. It's not dependent on how much money you have or how little money you have or whether you're a male or a female or whether you're the boss or you're a servant or you're young or you're old. I tell you, friends, all flesh that's you. And this elevates you. You say, well, I'm just a guy. I'm just a person that sits in a pew. i am done a preacher. I didn't go to seminary or cemetery or whatever you go to. I didn't do all of that. Listen to me, friends. I want you to know when Spirit of God comes upon you, you are elevated to a brand new level. He says, he says even upon your servants, I love that, Even upon the lowest of the low, even upon the back 40, the people living out in the slaves' quarters, Holy Spirit falls. And you know what this means? I don't have to be there. The preacher doesn't have to be there. Somebody has so-called spiritual or religious. You can be the person that God is using, like we had the testimony last week about God using in the workplace that you can be the person that God uses to beat the enemy right where you're at. You don't have to call for somebody else to come. Just beat the enemy. By the way, I want to congratulate Pastor Troy and his team for the event of last Sunday night. Wasn't that fantastic, those of you who were there? (laughs) Nearly 900 people there. What a powerful time. So grateful for what the Lord did It was just a fantastic event. And of course, that representation of Duncan Campbell and Duncan Campbell talking about the two people that started the revival. Who were the two people? An 80 and an 84-year-old woman, one of whom was non-ambulatory and the other one was blind. One of whom's niece is the current president of the United States' mother. Isn't that amazing? God, do it one more time. Send it here. One of those ladies' nieces who, she's now deceased, but she was the President of the United States' mother It is the President of the United States' mother. And Her Majesty the Queen referenced Mr. Trump's heritage this week to Scotland. This is not a, this is not a political, it's just a, it's just a fact, it's just what it is. Here's the bottom line, friends. Duncan Campbell says... It was because of these two women. You see this great egalitarian spirit. I love that because, you know what, he'll use anybody, anywhere, anytime. Some of you say, well, I'm too old now. No, I'm sorry. It's for the young and the old. Well, I'm, I'm a woman. Sorry, it's for the males and the females. Oh, I'm a servant. Sorry, it's for the servants and the ones who are in charge. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm this, I'm the, I, what, I, I. No, no, it's for everybody. In the last days, says the Lord, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all. So how does one receive the Holy Spirit? Number one, you receive Holy Spirit by faith. You receive him by faith. You notice I say you didn't receive it, but you receive him. You receive him by faith. You say, come Holy Spirit, I receive you now. You say, well, I didn't feel anything. You just say, come Holy Spirit. Either, either he's a liar or he's true. And he, you beckon him, come. And you open yourself up. He wants to come more than you want to receive him. It's got nothing to do with your feelings. Let God be true and all men be liar, including your feelings. Number two, you close yourself off to the devil. What does that mean? You say, devil, I close myself off to you. <laughs> devil comes to church too. Your Devil comes to your prayer time. Devil comes in a lot of situations. And what you have to do is you have to take a, a moment and just, and just say proactively, the enemy, you, you are. I, I drive you back in the name of Jesus. I take authority over you in Jesus' name. Number three, you open yourself up to God. You say, how do you do that? That sounds complicated. It, it, it really is. You just turn to God and you say, God, I open myself up to you. I open my spirit up to you. I've rebuked the devil. Now I've opened my spirit up to you. Number four, you confess any known sin. What is? Let me make clear, you're not going to be Holy Spirit baptized because you're perfect. In fact, this is not a work of the flesh. It's a work of grace. And it's, it's all God's grace. But having said that, why let, the, why let the pipeline get clogged up? So you just, you know, Lord, I'm sorry for whatever it is, you know, maybe the last two or three days or weeks or months or whatever. And Lord, I just clear that out in Jesus' name. I just get rid of any sin that's in my life. And by the way, sin is committed individually, so you repent of it specifically and individually. Number five, you begin to worship. Oh, Lord, I worship you. I love you. I worship you. I I adore you. You're so wonderful. Number six: When hands are laid on you, you speak. Now, here's what sometimes happens when I pray for people to receive Holy Spirit baptism: they will, they will hold their lips shut as if they've been surgically shut. You can almost see the demonic sutures that are keeping their mouth closed. And if God wants me to speak, He's going to have to open my mouth, and I ain't opening it for nobody. Now, friends, you can do that until the cows come home. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's not going to make you, uh, to make you open your mouth on, uh, until the cows actually come home. So when hands are laid upon you, you must have to be willing to speak. But then the question is, what do you speak? You speak words and syllables that are not English that come to your mind. Now, this is interesting because the words and syllables that come to your mind that are not English sound foolish. Sort of like I sound when I speak Spanish and French usually in the wrong country. If I'm in a French-speaking country, I speak Spanish words. And it sounds foolish. So it'll sound foolish to you, but that one or two little words that, that come to your mind, you just begin to speak them out. Why do I know that that's appropriate? Because we have closed ourselves off to the enemy. We've opened ourselves up to God. We've confessed known sin. I've been worshiping Him. Hands are being laid on me. So it's now time. Holy Spirit is a, is 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 a wonderful counselor and wonderful brother or rather a father friend and 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 and, and advocate and 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 he, reco- he 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 loves to be around me and so when i open my mouth up and begin to speak i speak those, that begin and that is the beginning no matter how simple it is speak it out speak it out no matter how simple it is just speak it out and of course it's going to be simple now how many know that that, uh, that 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 children are different you have you have you have little children that learn to speak one word at a time My children all learned to say one word the first word they ever said was money 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 and 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 and, and you say they say that one word at a time other children, know when they, when they learn to speak, they just, you know, and money and how they get it in their account and whether or not their debit card is working and, and did you get me a cell phone and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they just start, you know, right out. So we, we learn to speak individually different. We learn to speak in tongues and we learn to be baptized in the Holy Spirit differently. And when I say learn, it's still a work of the Spirit of God, and yet we have to learn to respond to the Spirit of God as he moves in us. And then I say, number nine, speak in tongues often. You know, you can speak in tongues anytime you want to. Yes, you can. You can speak in tongues anytime you want to. You go up to the McDonald's drive thru, hi, can I take your order? Big Mac. You wouldn't believe what you get. It's always amazing what you get anyway, but it's, it'll be amazing what you get. But I'm telling you, you can speak in tongues anytime you want to. You can speak in tongues at work. In fact, I recommend you do. Instead of standing around the water cooler talking to your friends about how bad the boss is, why don't you you just go somewhere and just begin to pray in the Holy Spirit? And finally, you have to deal with doubt. You see, here's what happens. Every time, I won't say every time, but many times, even now, I've been praying in the Holy Spirit since I was about 12 years old. So, you know, about 8 or 9 years. And... um, And so here we are now all these years later, and I'm still, but you know what? I still have doubts that come to my mind that this is really real. Can you believe it after all these years? How many can relate to sometimes having doubts? Huh. You have to deal with doubts. And here's what's interesting, is, is, is after you begin to speak in tongues for the first few times, the enemy comes to you and says, this is not real. Well, this is really interesting. If it's not real, then what, what, what's the Bible talking about, number one? Number two, what did I first do? I, 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 I received him by faith. And number three, I closed myself off to you, devil. And number four, I opened myself up to God, and I confessed any known sin. Doesn't sound like the pathway to getting closer to the devil. And it's interesting what the, what the devil will also say is, this is not real. And then he goes on to say, this is of the, the devil's trying to report on himself. This is of the devil. He's trying to say, hey, I'm inspiring this. This can't be true because I receive it by faith according to the word of God. I close myself off to the devil. I open myself up to God. I confess any known sin. When I some, some hands of other believers were laid upon me and I began to speak and what the words that I began to speak, they were simple and, and, and it, was, it was glorious and no matter how simple it was, I spoke them out and I'm speaking in tongues now often. This is from heaven. Listen to me. You say, well, what, what, what is it you said? Well, somebody says, I said tuk-ta-yuk-tuk. Really, you said Tukti yes, I said Tukti and this can't be of God, it must be of the devil by the way, Tukti is a place in the Northwest Territories of Canada, or now they call it Nuvik or Nunavut or something like that, but anyway, Tukti Uptuk's a real place, but Tukti yutuk came to my mind, and I said Tuktiuktuk and 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 camp listen to me, well, do you go around thinking about Tukti all the time is Tukti the, the subject of your breakfast conversation with your spouse well, well how often do you say Tukti no, no friends, this is the first time Tukti ever came to your mind, so if you have just opened Opened yourself up to God, shut yourself off to the devil. If you just confessed any known sin, if you've just been worshiping, hands have been laid upon you, you've built your life on the oasis of the Word of God. Chances are, tuck to yuck tuck has come from heaven and it's God beginning to flow through you. Amen. My colleague is coming. This Troy's coming business. Come on, Troy. <laughs> Three, four summers ago, Ruthie and I went through a very stressful and difficult time. We have um, three lovely children. We actually have four children, but three of them are lovely. Um, No, we have three children, and every one of them was going through a crisis at the same time. It was overwhelming. We actually changed our phone numbers. And... it it, it was overwhelming and and one particular story I'm not going to tell you all the details but is coming out as a testimony in a book uh, that's coming out of Global Awakenings over in and involved my son and his wife in in a very serious marriage crisis. And it was so overwhelming they just planted a church a few months before that they had been on a fire. Their apartment burnt. Um, their, it didn't really burn. It just got filled with smoke and everything was destroyed. They were homeless. The other two children were facing incredible crises as well. We didn't know what to do. and The only thing I knew to do was to call our family to fasting and prayer. I didn't have a whole lot of authority over the children when they are home, let alone now that they're adults and away from home. But when the Father called upon them to, to pray, we began to take these days and began to pray. The interesting thing was, I didn't know what to pray for. I didn't know if I should ask God to kill them or if I should ask God to somehow change. In some cases, I didn't even know I couldn't even think about what the right thing was. It didn't make any sense to me. And I remember being in my office, and Bryce, some of you know Bryce, he was there with me a few days. My wife was there, and others. And the only thing I knew to do was to go. <speaking in Spanish> and this wouldn't go on for 10 seconds or 30 seconds it would go on sometimes for 10 minutes 15 minutes straight I didn't have an English word to say but I had a friend I had an attorney I had a brother I had one who was not only in me but one in whom I was immersed. I had Holy Spirit Himself in a room with me, and He was praying through me in a language I've never studied or learned. And when I did not know how to pray according to the will of the Father, He did. Masakata And you know what was happening? The God of the universe had me by the feet. And he was driving back powers of darkness as I prayed and as I sought God and as I declared his victory. And I said, our family will have victory. Our family will have a divine intervention. God will meet them at the point of their need. And uh, here I was, the God of the universe was thrashing me around, making me his war club, destroying powers of darkness over my family. And liberty was coming. Why? Because I'd experienced a baptism in the Holy Spirit of God. And I was speaking in a language I've never studied or learned. And breakthrough came. I'm not anti-intellectual. I've got a little bit of education. I think i got my grade 8. But I want to tell you something. Some of you need to turn your mind off and let the Spirit of God begin to throw through you. And you need to begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. Come on, all over this room, Holy Spirit, descend on me today. Come on, all over this room, Holy Spirit, descend on me today. Come on, all over this room, front to the back, side to side. Come on, all over this room, Holy... Oh, satatamama do hondo do hoku, shakataleando do Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. That's right. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. So, Spirit of the living God, fall. Come on, how many say I want more? Come on, how many will say I want more? I need more somebody say I need more I need them for the first time listen if you've never been holy Spirit baptized you come and stand on my right your left my right and your left if you have been Holy Spirit baptized, but just want more, you come and stand on my left, your right. All right? Come on, stand all over this place. I need that. I need to be empowered. I want the enemy to come and fill me anew and afresh. If you need Holy Spirit baptized, you come and stand on my my right, your left. If you want to be refilled, you come over and stand on this side. Spirit of the living God is here. My wife is going to come and help me, I believe. And we're going to believe God for a mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God here today. Spirit of the living God, come.